Hello and welcome back to Basic Bible 101. Today's lesson is number five. It's the story of Abraham. We will be covering Genesis 12 through 19. And I hope you've already had a chance to read that and possibly do your homework assignment in the student handbook. We will begin with a brief review of last week. If, if you will recall, last week we talked about Noah and the ark and the flood and how Noah and his sons began to repopulate the earth. We stopped at about chapter 11 where we talked um, about the Tower of Babel. And the problem with uh, the new generation of people that had sprung up several generations later, um, after the earth was again being repopulated, the people decided to come together and build this strong uh, tower, and they wanted to get up to God. In fact, Scripture says, and we'll start with Genesis 11, uh, verse 1, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with the tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Well, you can see right there, God had told them to be fruitful and multiply and to scatter across the earth. So already they are deciding that they want to stick together and become a mighty force. Verse 5 says, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. God is obviously displeased with their attention on themselves and their unwillingness to give praise and honor to the God who provided everything for them. What an amazing difference in just this uh, short amount of time from where Noah gets off the ark and builds an altar to the Lord and raises his sons in such a way as to glorify and honor God. And then you get to this point where man's only focus is himself. So God stops this, nips it in the bud, causes the people to speak different languages. That is why they refer to this tower as the Tower of Babel, because it just sounded like babbling. I find it very interesting that in the Old Testament, God is separating people and causing them to speak different languages. And yet we find in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, that when the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes, it allows the disciples and, and believers in Christ to begin to speak to people who they don't know their language. And they begin to speak one language. So it's an amazing uh, time of unity and brought about by the Holy Spirit. So what an interesting thing that in the Old Testament, there God is really forcing people not to communicate with one another because of their evil bent and their, their tendency to just get worse and worse. So in the last part of chapter 11, we see a genealogy of people from this time all the way down to a man named Terah. It says that Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This family lives in the city of Ur. Those of you that have the student Bible can look back in the maps section. It's in the very first map. And it shows the two rivers, the, the Tigris and the Euphrates, coming up out of the Persian Gulf. Actually, I'm sure they flow down into the Persian Gulf. But for our purposes, if you were to follow that river up 
upstream, you would find the city of Ur. And this is where Terran and his sons live. Now Terah's son Haran passes away and he was the father of a young man named Lot. So Abram uh, adopts Lot as his son. At the end of chapter 11 in Genesis, it says that Terah took his sons Abram, his grandson Lot, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. So they'd heard about Canaan and they decided to head there. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Okay, uh, you notice he had a son named Haran? My suspicion is that they headed up to this place, they got so far, and they settled there, and the name of the town eventually was named after his son, Haran. I don't know that for a fact, but given the uh, commonality between the, the name of his son and the name of this town, I suspect that's what happened. So it says, Terah lived 205 years, and then he died. After his death, the Lord called to Abram. Now you notice we're talking about Abram, and I'm sure you're thinking, wait a minute, I thought this lesson was about Abraham. Does he have two names? And yes, he does. But at the beginning of this story, Abraham is known as Abram. That was his given name. Okay, let's look at chapter 12 and begin with verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was seventy-five years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had acquired, and the people they had acquired in Haran. So the entire household of Abram moves and basically becomes nomads as they begin traveling south from Haran. Once again, I would encourage you to refer to your uh, student Bible map. If you are not using the student Bible and you do have maps in your Bible, there should be one that talks about the world of the patriarchs. Uh, the pathway that uh, Abram took shows them beginning down in Ur, going up to a city called Haran, and then traveling south from there through the land of Canaan, which we now know as the Middle East, Israel, Jordan, that area. Okay, so they head down to this area and they stop by the great tree of Moray at Shechem. Shechem becomes an interesting city. We find that again later when the Israelites come back to this place and they meet there for the first time after they have conquered the land. But at this point, the Lord appears to Abram there and says, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Abram is promised this land, and at this point there's really nobody else there. So he heads on down toward the hill country and east of Bethel and pitches his tent. At this time, Bethel, which the word means house of God, is on one side and Ai is on the other side, and he builds an altar to the Lord there and calls on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev, which is much further south. So those of you that have maps, you can see where he kind of stops in the middle and then continues to head south. 
But unfortunately, there's a famine in the land, as can happen, and so they head to Egypt. Egypt seems to be the popular place whenever there is a problem because it always seems to have water. And it's really not surprising because of the Nile River, the base of the Nile River. The land is very fertile there. It's a, a wonderful growing plateau. So they head to this river basin and on the way, Abraham realizes that he's going to a place where they may not be as moral as he is. And so he's a little bit worried about bringing his wife, who's quite a beauty, into an area that may not be very civilized. Let's read here in Genesis 12, beginning with verse 11. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman, and when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. So she was taken into his palace. Okay, Abram's, Abram's got himself into a little bit of trouble now because Pharaoh has set his sights on his wife, not knowing, of course, that Abram was Sarai's husband. But we see that Pharaoh treats Abram very well. He provides him with donkeys, servants, camels, really t treats him like a king. But the Lord did not like this arrangement one bit, and so he inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his entire household. So Pharaoh summons Abram. He says, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So the end of the story for this section is that Abram escaped, and actually the Lord took care of him and blessed him because of it, because he left with more donkeys, more camels, um, more servants. So as he uh, prepares to return to the land of Canaan, God has been good and provided for him. Okay, so they go on up through this land, and they begin to get very wealthy because of all of their livestock and, and begin to uh, earn all kinds of silver and gold. And pretty soon the land is not really able to support all of this livestock. And so he turns to his nephew Lot and says, Lot, why don't you pick one part of this area and you go live there and I'll move to another part of the area. So Lot looks over the entire countryside and decides to move down into the valley which where the um, waters flow and it will be easy to feed his animals while Abram then decides to stay up in the hills. In verse 14 of chapter 13 in Genesis it says the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south east and west all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. 
Let's review some of the promises that God has made to Abraham so far. He has said that he will bless him and make him a blessing. He has said that his name would be great, that he would become a great nation, and that everybody would be blessed because of Abram. Now, interestingly enough, at this point, Abram has no children. And so it's in, it is very difficult for him to accept that God is promising him that his offspring will be like the dust of the earth. They can't be counted. But what a great hope. Isn't that just how it is with God? He sees us where we're at and he gives us this vision that's grander than us and promises us a future and a hope and then we tend to think oh I just can't believe you're going to do all that God but I know you and I will follow you and that's exactly what happens with Abram okay in chapter 14 there's a skirmish uh, turf wars uh, kind of abound because there are some other tribes living down in the valley and so Abram joins Lot and they fight and they're victorious and on their way back Abram runs into a the king of Salem or Jerusalem as we would refer to it and this man's name is Melchizedek Melchizedek is mentioned again in Psalms and again in Hebrews as a great high priest we really don't know very much more about Melchizedek he's kind of a mystery figure but we do know that Abram stops and gives him a tenth of all of his spoils from the victory he's received in chapter 15 of Genesis Abram is praying to God and he says O sovereign Lord what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus in other words that was his the head of his household basically his head servant then the word of the Lord came to him this man will not be your heir but a son coming from your own body will be your heir he took him outside and said look up at the heavens and count the stars if indeed you can count them then he said to him so shall your offspring be in verse 6 we see that Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness that will be an important verse that is later later referred to as what true faith is all about is believing God when what you see doesn't make sense and doesn't uh, can't be counted on with your eyes faith is something that comes from the heart and so at this point Abram believes God God in turn says to Abram I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of the Ur and of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it Abraham said O Lord how can I know that I will gain possession of it alright so we see a little bit of a okay God but what do I need to do how will I know that this is going to come about it's that sense of needing a sign and needing direction so the Lord says to him and this is down in verse 9 bring me a heifer a goat and a ram each three years old along with the dove and a young pigeon so Abraham does this and God instructs him to sacrifice these animals to set them apart and in and then it gets it's right at dusk and Abram gets kind of sleepy so he falls asleep and there's a thick dreadful darkness that comes over him and the Lord says to him know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years 
and I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. All right, so there's a little prophecy, and this is the prophecy of what is going to happen to Abraham's descendants, to his uh, children's children. But at this point, he says you're going to live a nice ripe, to a nice ripe old age and enjoy the land. And so the, when the sun is starting to set and darkness had fallen, there's a fire pot with a blazing torch that appears. This torch goes between the different um, parts of the animals that have been sacrificed. And you can imagine that this is not easily forgotten by Abram. And he remembers this, and then he remembers back to what God has promised him about being able to take possession of the land. Okay, so over the course of time, Sarai is waiting to have children, but none come. And so she has an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar, and she says to her husband, Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. This is probably where we got the first surrogate mother idea, that by having a child through another woman and being able to raise it as your own, it would be the same as if you actually had your own child. Of course, we know there are all kinds of problems with this arrangement today, and it was no different back then. Abram wavers in his faith and agrees to Sarai's plan. And so sure enough, in the course of time, Hagar has a child. This child's name is Ishmael. We learn about Ishmael as being one of the key figures in the Muslim faith. He is the son of Abraham, but he is not considered the son of the promise. Nonetheless, God does bless this son. And we can see that in the end of chapter 16, there is already a struggle between Sarai and her maidservant, Hagar. And God promises Hagar, I'll take care of you and, and take care of your child. It is in this conflict with Sarai that Hagar learns to trust God. In fact, she says in verse 13 of chapter 16, You are the God who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. This is a beautiful description of a quality of God as, as the one who sees us and protects us. Okay. Chapter 17 talks about the covenant of circumcision, which was an outward sign of what had happened in the heart with Abram. He was trusting God, and God said, Okay, you are my special people, and, and do this with, you, with your sons so that they will know they are different from the people around them. Time goes on, and still Abram has no child. At this point in chapter 17, he is 99 years old. God reconfirms his covenant with him, and Abram's name is changed to Abraham, which means uh, father of many. The Lord also changes Sarai's name to Sarah and promises to bless her with a son. But of course, Abraham just laughs. At this point, it's just hard for him to believe that at 99 years old, he's going to be a father. So God tells Abraham, when your son is born, you name him Isaac, which means laughter. In chapter 18, we learn of three visitors who come to Abraham and Sarah. And while they're there, 
Abram insists on serving them dinner. And Sarah quickly runs out and gets flour and they bake some bread and he treats them like royalty. That was a common thing back then was when a visitor came by, there were no McDonald's or uh, Holiday Inns. And so when people traveled, they really depended on the other people in that area. And either they were friendly people or they were hostile people. The hostile people would take everything you had, beat you up and possibly kill you or make you a slave. The good people would invite you in, give you something to eat and a place to stay. So as Abraham is visiting with these men, they say to him, You know, when we return this time next year, you'll have a son. Sarah is listening by the tent and hears, overhears this and she starts to laugh. Because, of course, she is very advanced in age too. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. All right, that is from verse 13 of chapter 18. It certainly appears that one of the visitors is the Lord himself. And so one of the things we learn about God is that he can show up in all kinds of places and all kinds of forms, We are going to stop at this point for this week, and next week we will pick up with the middle of chapter 18 with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is a very interesting story. And then we will continue with uh, what happens with Abraham. Does he have this child? Of course, we know that he does. And so next week we will talk about his son, Isaac. Until then, thank you very much for being faithful to your Uh, podcasting and those of you that are doing the student homework I'm very proud of you good job I hope that you're finding the answers you need on the website and if you are not please let me know those of you that have not yet purchased the student handbook if you would like to you can go to our website as I say every week www.basicbible101.com and find out how you can order your own personal copy of the handbook so that you can be following along and filling in uh, the answers to the questions there. Those of you who are reading through the Bible, this next week you should read Genesis 19 through 24. If you are not reading through the Bible and you are just trying to keep up with what's required for the homework, you will just need to read chapter 22. So until the next time, may the Lord bless you in your study of his word. See you later.